We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 51. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn there. And you guys probably know Jeremiah is uh, one of the longest books in the Bible. And Jeremiah 51 is actually the longest chapter in this book. And so you guys ready? Let's take a deep breath. It's um, it's an awesome chapter, though, because what it is, you guys might remember, you go back to the book of Genesis chapter 11, and that was when they tried to build a tower up to heaven. You guys remember the Tower of Babel. And so basically what they were trying to do is they were trying to reach God. They were trying to you know, exalt themselves, make a name for themselves. It was really like the origin, we would call it the origin of religion, the origin of that which is rebellious to God. As a matter of fact, uh, Babel means confusion. And so today, as we go through Jeremiah chapter 51, we're going to see how at the end, you guys, uh, the Lord is the one who wins, you know, not the enemy. And so we're going to see Israel, we're going to see Babylon. I don't know if you guys knew this or not. Uh, Jerusalem is found in the Bible 900 times. And so when you put Jerusalem and Zion together, you know, it's mentioned over and over and over again. But the second most significant city in the Bible is Babylon. And Babylon is mentioned about 300 times. And when you look at the book of Revelation, chapter 17 and 18, you're going to see that when Jesus Christ comes and when he, you know, he brings judgment basically on the world because of all the crazy things that are going on, he will destroy religious Babylon and commercial Babylon. And so these are things that a lot of times, man, we put before the Lord, you know, religion, uh, money, the things that money can buy, and we put God on the back burner. And so we need to know, you guys, especially as Christians, you know, that we have to, you know, we've got to put the Lord first, man. He's got to be number one in our life. And if you do, and if you're there and you're walking with God, I'm not saying it's easy, but the cool thing is, is that you have victory. You know, we are forgiven. We are free. When we die, we'll go to heaven because of Jesus Christ and his blood, and it was nailed to the cross for us. And so it's a really cool thing to be able to see what ends up happening when you're in a covenant relationship with him. And so again, this is a long chapter, and so it's kind of a tough one, but hopefully if you have your Bibles and your hearts open, um, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be good. And so look what we read here, Jeremiah 51 and verse 1. It says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up against Babylon, against those who dwell in Leb Kamai, a destroying wind. And I will send winnowers to Babylon, who shall winnow her and empty her land. For in the day of doom, they shall be against her all around. Against her, let the archer bend his bow and lift himself up against her in his armor. Do not spare her young men, utterly destroy all her army. Thus the slain shall fall in the land of the Chaldeans and those thrust through in her streets. Check this out. For Israel is not forsaken, nor Judah by his God, the Lord of hosts. Though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. And so you guys remember, as you've gone through the book of Jeremiah, basically what happened was the Babylonians came and they surrounded Jerusalem, right, in 605 B.C., uh, that's when they took Daniel away. Then they surrounded Jerusalem again in 597 B.C. And that's when they took Ezekiel away. So they took all these people, thousands of, you know, we're dealing with what we call captives today, right? Hamas has gone in, you know, somewhere around 200 uh, captives there in, in the Gaza Strip. 
Well, when this happened, we're talking about thousands of individuals deported to the land of Babylon. You know, and when the Assyrians came in, when the Babylonians came in, because you guys are going to see it's in the same vicinity, man. There's the same uh, mentality. There's the same demonic spirit behind it. The same things were happening. The women were being raped. The children were being slaughtered. The older, the younger. And so when Babylon came in, three sieges against Jerusalem, they had no pity on the nation of Israel. No pity whatsoever. And so God said, you know, I allowed you to, you know, flog my people because of their sin, but you you took too much joy in it. And so now God, in this chapter, he's going to say two things. Basically, I'm going to judge Babylon But number two, let me tell you, my people, my covenant people, my Christians, my church, the nation of Israel, they are mine and I will defend them. I will never, ever forsake them. And so we have to know this. You guys, when we look at the world today and we see all the craziness that's going on, I don't know if you guys heard about it, just right down the street, man. uh, My heart just broke to find out about a daughter who, uh, who stabbed her mom to death and it was uglier than that. I don't even want to tell you the details. These are things that are going on in the world. All the babies that are being slaughtered, all the the things, the the molestations, all the crazy things that go on and you wonder like, God, where are you in all this? And God says, you know, I, I have to allow mankind to have free will. You will go through difficult times, but what the enemy intended for evil, God says in Genesis 50 verse 20, I will use for good. I will work all things together for good, so don't lose heart. And I want you to know this, that one day justice will prevail because one day the judge, the king, Jesus will come. And so we see that here with, with Babylon. You know, we see it here in Jeremiah chapter 51, how he says there in verse 1, I'm going to raise up, you know, there's going to be the Medes, they will come against Babylon. Now it talks about a destroying wind right there. I was going to send winnowers to Babylon. So in those days, you know, you would have the, the, the grain, whatever, and they would put it on the ground and they would step on it. They would stomp it all. And then the chaff would fall off the grain, right? And then you would get the winnowing shovel or fork and then you would throw it up in the air and you would wait for the wind. They would usually wait for a breeze to come. But in this case, God says, not just a breeze. We're talking about a destroying wind that's going to blow them all away. This is what God says here, and I, and I, and I trip out right there, because look what it says, for in the day of doom, think about that, doomsday is literally something we read about in the Bible. You know, if you get a chance, maybe you can check out Job 21, verse 30, Proverbs 16, verse 4, there is a day of reckoning, there is a day of doom. And God says right here, the archers are going to come, and they're going to clean house there the young men they're they're going to suffer with the sword they're going to be slain those thrust through in the streets god says here because the babylonians they thought you know we're the we're the power and, and god is trying to tell them it doesn't matter who you are united states of america this is our country thank god we are a judeo-christian country but still it is god who gave us the power you look at some of these guys on top, the politicians, the celebrities, the rich people, and they, a lot of times, man, they don't acknowledge the fact that, you know, God is the one who's given them everything. He gives us the ability to move our, our hands, the Bible says. It all comes from him. But unfortunately, what happens is these guys right here, the Babylonians, they thought they were, you know, the power, and God said, no, you're not, I am. 
and I'm going to deal with you, and I want you to know this. And I think for us it's important, it's relevant to know, like we told, we talked about this, and I hope you guys understand, you know, God loves everybody, amen? He loves everybody. But you want to know something? You who are his church, you who are his church, you're his people, you're his bride, you're the apple of his eye. You know, it's like we love everybody, but man, don't touch my kids. You know, it's kind of like that. So God loves everybody, but there's a special place in his heart for his church. And there is a special place in his heart and our heart for Israel. For Israel. We see it right here. Look again what he says there in verse 5. For Israel is not forsaken, nor Judah by his God, the Lord of hosts. You know, the, 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 the land was filled with sin and, and, you know, they did fall short with all the idolatry and all the craziness that was going on. God said, I, I will never forsake them. You know, and, and when I was looking at this, you guys look at, you see the Jews and man, they've been through so much. Why have they been through so much? Why was there the Holocaust? Why are they hated? Why they were to try, the Egyptians tried to destroy them. You know, the, the Persians under, you know, when, and when Esther was there as queen, they, they tried to destroy them. The Nazis tried to destroy why, why is there so much here? Well, it's because of the spiritual battle, right? But because of the fact that the enemy is coming against them and is trying to destroy them because of the witness that they have. And so God, at the same time, in this case right here, he disciplined his uh, people, but he didn't destroy them. He flogged them, so to speak, but he didn't forsake them. And I, and I love that the passage in Deuteronomy chapter 31 and in verse 6, I think we have that right here. It says, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them for the Lord your God. He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Now, that was a verse that God gave to me when the church first started back in the day. It was, just a, it was a really amazing thing. I was looking at this little picture that my daughter had, had, had drawn for me. I should have brought it. I have it in my office. And I was just focusing on this picture, and I was looking at this car, you know, a little cartoon car that, that she drew, drew on it. And I was thinking, Lord, what is the message right here? For some reason, I feel like you want to talk to me through this little painting that my daughter gave to me. And then someone called me up on the phone and they said, hey, Manny, I just want to give you a verse. Someone who had never done this before, God laid this on my heart, Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. I said, okay. I wrote it down on a piece of paper and then I went back and I'm looking at the picture. I didn't think anything of it. But then I started looking at the picture again and then I noticed afterwards that on the picture, my daughter had written Deuteronomy 31, 6, the very same verse that this person who had no idea what I was looking at called me, gave me that that verse, that verse was on this little cartoon thing that my, my daughter drew, and I knew it was God saying, go to Almani, and I want you to know this, that don't, you don't have to be afraid. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, and different things happen, and you know, people have to go here and there, and you name it, but the, the beautiful thing about our life, you guys, is that no matter what, when you become a child of God, he will never leave you nor forsake you. You don't have anything to be afraid of. You can face whatever the challenge that is in front of you because if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? Hebrews 13.5 is another really cool verse. It says, be, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
You know, and so maybe you want the bigger house, or maybe you want the nicer car, or maybe you want the razor, maybe you want more money. And you know, God can bless you. Don't get me wrong. Money in and of itself is not bad, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so in one sense, the rich man is the content man, and especially as a Christian, because he says right there, you know, at the end of the day, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with whatever it is that you have, because you have God. You have God. You know, I, I love that, that song. Uh, I, I read it um, the other day. I was thinking about it. Let me see. I think I wrote the words here. Ah, I didn't. I can't believe I didn't write the words. It, it, just, it just goes something like this. It says, let, the, let the, the poor stand and confess that my portion is him and I'm more than blessed. It's a Hillsong song, and so, you know, it's out there. But the thing that I love about it is that, you know, as a, you may be here today, and I don't want you to raise your hand, but, you know, you're living paycheck to paycheck, and it can't be hard, and you've been living on beans and rice and Jesus Christ, and that's it. You know, you got a little bit of salsa every once in a while and stuff, but, you know, it's like, uh, come on, there are some of you here, some of us here, we don't have a lot of money. We don't. And maybe you could go make some money if you didn't go to church so much. Or maybe you can go make some money if you didn't you know, serve in the ministry or different things like that. But at the end of the day, it says right there that we have him. And one day when this is all said and done, there, there's no hearse to, uh, uh, you know, to the guy who's died. And he can't take it to heaven. But everything that you're doing unto the Lord, you're giving to God, you're serving God, you're loving on God, you're being obedient to him. Man, you will receive rewards in heaven. And that, those rewards are forever and ever. And so for us, as we're reading this right here, I'm just encouraged by the fact that, you know what, man, no matter what, he even says there in verse 5, even though there was sin, and even though you are not perfect, even though we've blown it, all of us here have blown it, we got the Lord. We have his blood to wash away our sins, and he himself has said he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so it's telling the Babylonians, I'm going to get you guys, and you guys need to know how much I love my people, Israel. And then he says in verse 6, flee from the midst of Babylon. And everyone shall save his life. Do not be cut off in her iniquity. For this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He shall recompense her. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hands that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine. Therefore, the nations are deranged. Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Wail for her. Take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her and let us go, everyone to his own country, for her judgment reaches to heaven and is lifted up to the skies. The Lord has revealed our righteousness. Come and let us declare in Zion the works of the Lord our God. So, so I don't want to confuse you guys. It's a, it's a, it's a heavy chapter. Babylon literally would be judged. So the Medo-Persians would come in and they would, uh, they would overtake the Babylonians. You can read that in Daniel chapter 5. 
So they would be overcome by the Medo-Persians who just, all they did was really put a dam in the river Euphrates. They went under the wall and they were able to overcome the Babylonians. But in 330 BC, Alexander the Great came in and he leveled Babylon. Now, if you were to go to Iraq today, you could see some of the ruins of Babylon, but that's only because Saddam Hussein tried to rebuild it, but he couldn't. He didn't get far. And so this literally happened. God crushed this nation. And when Jeremiah is writing these words, they're at the top. That would be like someone saying God's going to wipe out, you know, uh, I don't want to say any nations, but anyways, you know, some powerful nation, you know. And so this is what happened to Babylon literally but we're going to see it as we go through this whole chapter. It's, it's more than just a, a, a nation literally, geographically. It is a world system that is under the sway of Satan. And that's why I talked about it. Genesis chapter 11. And if you go over to Revelation 17 and 18, you have to read those two chapters because in Revelation 17 and 18, it talks about when God will destroy religious Babylon. And God will destroy commercial Babylon. And all the money and all the materialism that people worshipped, they, 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 they neglected God. They, they said, God, you know what? I don't got time for you. Why? Because I got all this stuff, all the material stuff that the world, you know, it says that this will make you happy. They're so engaged in those things and they, they don't even care about God that God says one day all that's going to be destroyed. And not just the material stuff, but the religion. You know, because the religion, you see Revelation chapter 17, you've got the beast and you've got the Antichrist. And you know what happens a lot of times is the government will use the church to accomplish their purposes. And once they accomplish their purposes, they get rid of the church. And so in one sense, you're going to see that whole ecumenical system happen there in Revelation 17. And God says, I'm going to get rid of it. And so for us as Christians, here's, here's what the thing. This is not a religion. It's not something that man has done to reach a God. It's a relationship that we can have with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died for us on the cross. Because the religion and all those riches, Revelation 17 and 18, all the confusion of Babylon, all the rebellion of the world against God, Babylon one day will be destroyed. And so God says to them, come out of there. Revelation 18, 4. I think we have that verse. It says, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. And there you read the harlot. You read about Babylon. And now one day God's going to judge. And so God says, before I do that, you come out of there. Get out of there. Get out of that religion. Get out of those riches that are taking you away from me. Again, you know, when it's been, when we put it before God, that's when it becomes a problem. And, and so right here, he's talking about Babylon. They would have been healed. It seemed like things were going good. Nebuchadnezzar had some good seasons there. But then everything went south again, and they forgot what God had done. They forgot the, the, the testimony of Daniel. And so they went down. But look at verse 10 again. This is so beautiful. The Lord has revealed our righteousness. Come and let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. So again, Babylon getting judged, Israel being redeemed, Israel being restored. Israel, it says right there, is, is righteous. 
There's a really cool verse in Psalm 37 and and verse 6. Let me read verse 5 and 6 to you. It says this. It says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. And I love that. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. And and Israel, because they were in a covenant relationship with God by faith, they were righteous. And you know what that means, you guys? I know it sounds crazy, but it means that when God looks at you, he sees no sin because you are washed in the blood of Jesus. Because you have placed your faith in him. And so here's Babylon and they're doing their own thing. But then here's Israel and covenant relationship. And, you know, we see it a lot of times, you know, in the world that we live in. It seems like a lot of times, man, you got people out there that aren't Christians. And sometimes it seems like they're better people than those who are Christians, right? Have you guys ever experienced that? And so it shouldn't be that way. And so you guys, let's come on, let's get better at this, right? But I will say this, though, that Christians are not perfect, but they are pardoned because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is what he says right here. Verse 10, the Lord has revealed our righteousness. Our our righteousness comes through Christ. You know, we have a couple of passages here. Philippians chapter 3. I think we have this word, verse 9. It says, and we get to be found in in him, that's speaking of Christ, not having my own righteousness, because I don't have any righteousness. To be honest, Isaiah 64, 6 says, my righteousness is like filthy rags. And then literally in the Hebrew language, it says, my righteousness. And that means the best that I can do would be like a woman's menstrual garment. That's how, how you and I, we fall so short. So not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes by God, from God by faith. And so then there's one more verse after this that talks about the righteousness. I think there is Second Corinthians 5.21. It says, For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And so God put your sins on Jesus. In one sense, it's kind of like this, you guys. God treated Jesus as if he lived your life, and now he's willing to treat you as if you live Jesus' life. That righteousness has been imputed to your account. And so guess what, man? If you die today, you'll go to heaven. Guess what? You have a relationship with God. Guess what? When God looks at you, he sees no sin. You are righteous by faith in Christ. And so right here, it's crazy because he says in verse 10, the Lord has revealed our righteousness. And then the next part says, come and let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. And, and I like that because in one sense, man, I remember before I was a Christian, I remember how I was addicted to drugs and alcohol. I remember, man, I used to get so drunk. I, know, I didn't even remember, you know, how I got home. I mean, this is pathetic, you guys. Isn't this sad? I had friends. I, I used to pass out. I would go to parties and pass out. And you know what they did? They threw me in the back of the truck. What kind of friends would do that, man? You know, but I guess they were just tired of me. They're like, this guy, you know what? Uh, I will say this, man, that I was headed for death and oh, I, I would have OD'd. I would not have made it had it not been for August 20th, 1989, when God came into my life and he set me free overnight from everything. One day, boom, I got struck with lightning, right? 
And so I, I, I feel like, okay, like right here he says, my righteousness, come, you know, the Lord has revealed our righteousness. There's a revelation. And if there's a revelation of that I'm righteous, I'm free, I'm forgiven, then there's going to be a declaration after that revelation. I will go and tell the world. This is what we must do. And this is exactly what he says right here. Come and let us declare in Zion, not the work of Manny, not the work of that person. No, the work of the Lord our God. And I tell you what, you guys can talk to people that I could never talk to. They'll listen to you, but they might not. They probably wouldn't listen to me. But you go and you tell them. And you watch how little by little, man, you start helping people. Next thing you know, they're not on drugs. Next thing you know, they're not on alcohol. Next thing you know, their marriages come back together. Next thing you know, that one over there, that young person that was going the wrong way, now they're going the right way because of the fact that you were able to say something to them. And so this is what he's saying. Look what he says in in, in verse 11. He says, make the arrows bright, gather the shields. The Lord has raised up the spirit of the kings of the Medes. Now remember, the Medo-Persians were the ones that conquered Babylon. For his plan is against Babylon to destroy it because it is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. I mean, when the Babylonians went in there and they destroyed the temple uh, there in Jerusalem, they destroyed it to such an extent, uh, history tells us that there were eventually 200,000 Babylonians that dismantled the temple to such an extent that when the Jews went back to rebuild the temple, they had to lay a new foundation. That's how much the Babylonians had desecrated the temple. And so right here, the Lord says, hey, I'm going to get vengeance for what you did to my temple. He says there in verse 12, set up the standard on the walls of Babylon. Make the guard strong. Set up the watchmen. Go ahead, prepare the ambushes. For the Lord has both devised and done what he spoke against the inhabitants of Babylon. O you who dwell by many waters, abundant in treasures, and that was Babylon there by the Euphrates River and even the Tigris and the little uh, streams that were in between. He says, your end has come, the measure of your covetousness. The Lord of hosts has sworn by himself, surely I will fill you with men as with locusts and they shall lift up a shout against you. And so, again, Jeremiah just, we're going to see later, you guys, he's writing a scroll. It's these two chapters, chapter 50 and 51. And then he's going to send them, he's going to send uh, one of the guys, Sarahiah, over to Babylon. He's going to take the scroll. He's going to read it in, in to ba- the Babylonians. He's going to read this to them. Think about that. He's going to read this to them. And he's going to tie a stone around it. And he's going to throw it into the river. And it's going to sink into the river. And this guy, when he goes to Babylon, he's going to say, and Babylon is going to sink just like that scroll just sunk. And so as we're reading this, keep that in mind that this guy is going to go over and he's going to read this to the Babylonians. And also it would be a word to the Jews. You guys, I'm going to judge the Babylonians and I, and I am going to spare you. And so just in case, you know, you're wondering, well, can God really do this? Look what it says in verse 15. It says, He has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heaven by his understanding. 
when he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightnings for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. I mean, one of the things you're going to see, this right here is pretty much verbatim found in Jeremiah 10, 12 through 16. Verbatim. And so you're wondering, well, why is he repeating it? Because basically he's just saying, I want you to know that the God who is going to judge the world, the God who's giving the threats to Babylon, is the God who made the earth. He spoke it into existence. He's the God that expanded the heavens like curtains. And the Bible says that when he made the universe, he spoke it into existence. You know, right here, it's interesting. He made the earth by his power. Well, you're wondering, well, how much power is that? Well, the earth is a six billion trillion metric tons. I mean, we know, I mean, compared to the rest of the universe, it's not that big, but it is kind of big, huh? You know, I mean, think about this. We're talking about six billion trillion tons floating through space. And how many of you guys have discovered how beautiful this planet is? Have you ever gone to maybe Hawaii or just sort of the beach and you see the sunset, you know, different things, the, the flowers, your trip out on the hummingbirds. I mean, you name it, man. God made that. That's the, he's the powerful God who made the earth, but he didn't just make the earth, he made the heavens. And so when you look at the universe, it's 46.5 billion light years. So if you were to travel at 186,000 miles per second, Okay, 186,000 miles per second. That's light speed. And you go in any direction. You can go in that direction, that direction, that direction, that direction. You, you would travel at light speed in order to reach the, what, to the edge of what we know as far as the universe goes. It could be even bigger. You would have to travel 186,000 miles per second for 46.5 billion years in any direction. That's how big the universe is. God made it all. God made it all with his power and with his might. And that God is your God. And that God is for you. And that God says, hey, I will judge you Babylonians and you Jews and you Christians. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That, that's the God that we have. Look what it says in verse 17, because they had these idols. He says, everyone is dull-hearted without knowledge. Every metalsmith is put to shame by the carved image. For his molded image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. They are, they're futile, a, a work of errors. In the time of their punishment, they shall perish. But I love verse 19. The portion of Jacob is not like them, for he is the maker of all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I trip out, you know, going to places like Nepal or going to places like Cambodia or even, you know, my heart aches. I remember one time a sister took me into her, her mom's house and she's got just heart, just hardcore like her, her whole house is like a, a temple to all these Catholic saints and all these statues that are there and she prays to all of them. Or, you know, you see that in, in um, Hinduism, 300 million gods, but they're nothing. 
And this is what he says right here, because back in those days, the Jews were the only monotheists. Uh, they were the only ones who understood, you know, that God is not a God that we see, at least now with our with our eyes. They had all these idols that they made. And so he's saying it's crazy because these guys make their gods when in all reality, just God made us. And that's the one that we have to worship. But when it comes to Israel, I love what we read there in verse 19. Again, the portion of Jacob is not like them because he's the maker of all things. He's the, and Israel is a tribe of his inheritance. You know, for us, I, I pray that we would know that we have the Lord. And uh, don't, don't get caught up in worshiping idols or trusting in men. Do you trust the Lord? I mean, I pray that you do. I, I pray that we don't trust in anyone or anything else, that we don't put anything else before the Lord. You know, I, I remember reading a story about a man. It was in a Polynesian tribe. And I guess uh, the, the tribe, this man got converted. He was the leader of the village. And so what he did was he gathered all the idols from the entire village and he put them in a pile right there. And he said, I'm going to destroy you. And so he's talking to all these idols right there, right? Imagine that. One time you're worshiping them. Now he puts them all in a pile and he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to destroy you, but I'm going to give you a warning. I'll give you a running start. It's kind of funny. I thought that was funny. <laughs> right? Because there is no life there. We have the living God. And I know this because I've experienced him for the last 34 years of my life. I have seen so many miracles. He has spoken to me so many times. He knows us. He knows our tears. He knows our, our, our worries. He knows how many hairs we have. He knows the, the past, the present, the future. And he loves you. This is the God that we have. He's not a dead God. He's a living God. Look what it says here in verse 20. Now, he says, you are my, my battle axe and, and weapons of war. For with you, I will break the nation in pieces. With you, I will destroy kingdoms. Now he's speaking about Babylon and he's speaking about what God allowed them to do. Now we have to make a distinction between God authors and what God allows. And so Babylon would go and they would be the battle ox. In verse 21, with you I will break in pieces the horse and its rider. With you I will break in pieces the chariot and its rider. With you I will break in pieces man and woman. With you I will break in pieces old and young. With you I will break in pieces the young man and the maiden. With you I will break in pieces the shepherd and his flock. With you I will break in pieces the farmer and his yoke of oxen. With you I will break in pieces governors and rulers. And when I when I went through that in my Bible, I, I just put I underlined the word I will because a lot of times we take God out of the equation and we think it's them. No, God is allowing them to be the world power at that time, right? But look what he says in verse twenty four. And I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea for all the evil they have done in Zion in your sight says the Lord. And so Zion is Jerusalem. It's kind of like a heavenly taste of Jerusalem. Verse 25, Behold, I'm against you, O destroying mountain. And so the mountain would oftentimes be symbolic of a kingdom who destroys all the earth, says the Lord. And I will stretch out my hand against you, roll you down from the rocks, and make you a burnt Mountain, And more than likely, the burnt mountain would be in reference to a dormant volcano. You know, you're going to be all dried up, burnt up. They shall not take from you a stone nor for a corner, nor a stone for a foundation, 
but you shall be desolate forever, says the Lord. And so the the children of God, you know, the, the Jews in this sense, the children of God, the church, you know, we get flogged, but we are not forsaken. We get disciplined, but we're not destroyed. But those who choose not to follow God, he says right there, you shall be desolate forever. Set up a banner in the land. Blow the trumpet among the nations. Prepare the nations against her. Call the kingdoms together. Uh, Ararat, Mini, and Ashkenaz. Now these are three nations that were conquered by the Medo-Persians. So in one sense, they joined the Medo-Persians as they came against Babylon. Uh, Appoint a general against her. Cause the horses to come up, the, the bristling locusts, like bristling locusts. Prepare a nation against her, the nations with the kings of the Medes, its governors and its rulers, all its rulers, all the land of his dominion. And the land will tremble and sorrow for every purpose as the Lord shall be performed, of the Lord shall be performed against Babylon to make the land of Babylon a desolation without inhabitants. The mighty men of Babylon have ceased fighting. They have remained in their strongholds. They're they're hiding, in other words. Their might has failed. They've lost courage. It says they became like women. They have burned her dwelling places. The bars of her gate are broken. One runner will run to meet another and one messenger to meet another. Apparently the Chaldeans or the Babylonians are really good at sending messages. They had this system that was complex. And so they're going to get the word out to show the king of Babylon that his city is taken on all sides. The passages are blocked, the reeds they have burned with fire, and the men of war are terrified. And when you read the story there in Daniel chapter 5, there were two kings, there were co-regents. Again, it was a relatively easy uh, overtaking of the nation when the Medes came in. But they, uh, they burned uh, the, the, the reeds so that no one would leave the nation, just like God had said. Verse 33, For thus says the Lord of hosts, and I circled this in my Bible, the God of Israel. You know, there's that emphasis there. Now, now the interesting thing about this, you guys, remember, so this scroll is going to be taken over to Babylon and it's going to be read in Babylon. Now, who's in Babylon? The Jewish slaves are there. The Jewish slaves are there. And so he's reading it and he's saying, you know, to you Jewish slaves who are in a bad place right now, I'm your God. I love you and I will restore your life. You know, and, and so you might even find yourself tonight in a bad place. You know, but God is saying, hey, I haven't left you. I haven't forsaken you. I'm your God. And we're going to put life back together again. You watch. This is the God of Israel. The, the daughter of Babylon, he says, is like a threshing floor. And when it is time to thresh her, yet a little while and the time of her harvest will come. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has devoured me. He has crushed me. Now, this is now what Jerusalem would say. This is what Nebuchadnezzar did to them. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has devoured me. He has crushed me. He has made me an empty vessel. He has swallowed me up like a monster. He has filled his stomach with my delicacies. He has spit me out. Let the violence done to me and my flesh be upon Babylon. The inhabitant of Zion will say... And my blood be upon the inhabitants of Chaldea, Jerusalem will say. 
Now, again, you know, what's going on right now in Israel and just the, the, the brutality of these things. I mean, I saw a picture of one baby that was shot up, a whole bunch of holes. Now, you've got death happening on both sides, but one, unfortunately, the, the cruelty, the satanic cruelty of Hamas or, or you know, people or, or organizations like ISIS, I mean, it's just a different level. When you actually go into homes and you videotape what you're doing, you, you know, the, the ravaging of women, and you videotape these things and you post it on social media, I mean, it's a different demonic force that we're dealing with. And I think when you read this right here and when you read the book of Lamentations, which is the sorrow of Jeremiah after um, Jerusalem had been um, you know, conquered by the Babylonians, you get an understanding of the, the horror, the terror of what they're experiencing. And so he says next in verse 36, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will plead your case and take vengeance for you. I will dry up her sea and make her springs dry. Babylon shall become a heap, a dwelling place for jackals, an astonishment and a hissing without an inhabitant. They shall roar together like lions. They shall growl like lion whelps. In their excitement, I will prepare their feasts. I will make them drunk that they may rejoice and sleep a perpetual sleep. God bless you. And not awake, says the Lord. And so it's an interesting thing what he says right here. Um, have you guys ever, do you guys ever watch like the lions hunting? You guys ever watch that? I like to watch that stuff. I don't know why, you know. And so they're hunting, and they got all the the animals that they're after. And then you know, eventually they, you know, especially the mom lion, or just different uh, things. You know, they get their animal, and they, you know, they they eat, they grub, and then what do they do? What do those lions do after they eat? They sleep, right? They sleep. And so that's kind of what the Lord is saying right here. They're going to eat. Yeah, they're going to, they're going to, you know, they're going to do what they do against Israel. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to devour them, but then they're going to go to sleep and they're not going to wake up. God's just saying this, you guys. And, and again, we're not happy that people get judged. We're not. We are not. Second Peter 3, 9 says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But what we find right here is, unfortunately, those who have rejected Christ will experience this. And so we read in verse 41, verse 40, I will bring them down like lambs to the slaughter, like rams of male goats. Oh, how Shishak is taken. It's another name for Babylon. Oh, how the praise of the whole earth is seized. How Babylon has become desolate among the nations. The sea has come up over Babylon, and that's just in reference to the soldiers. She is covered with the multitude of its waves. Her cities are a desolation, a dry land, and a wilderness, a land where no one dwells, through which no son of man passes. I will punish Bel. And now this is the God of the Babylonians um, in, in Babylon. God says, I will bring out of his mouth what he has swallowed, and the nation shall not stream to him anymore. Yes, the wall of Babylon shall fall. And so um, I'm sure Babylon thought they could never fall because their, their walls were huge. 
their walls were 311 feet high. That's like 28 stories. I think we might have a picture of a building that's 28 stories. I don't, you, you can't really tell, but I mean, here's the door right here. And so it's huge. And so imagine looking up at walls that are 311 feet high, 87 feet thick. I mean, that's probably the distance between there and right about that column right there. Oh, no, that's only 30 feet. 87 feet is more like this distance right here. So that's how wide they were. So 311 feet high, 87 feet wide, 61 miles, 61 miles long. And God said, you guys are coming down. And that's exactly what happened. Right here it says, yes, the wall of Babylon shall fall. My people, he says, go out of the midst of her and let everyone deliver himself from the fierce anger of the Lord. So I, I know this is a little bit, you know, symbolic here, but just in case, man, I, I don't know why, you know, you came to the church service tonight. Maybe it's because you're thinking afterwards you're going to go to In-N-Out or something. Or I, I don't know. You're like, hey, it's a, you know, I've really got nothing else to do. It's a Wednesday night. I'll go and I'll do like a religious thing. But, but here's the thing, man, and I'm, and I'm talking to myself as well. I'm talking to myself. Manny, don't just go to church. Make sure that there's no Babylon inside of you, Manny. And if you're there in Babylon in any way, and I'm talking about the confusion and the chaos and the scandal of this world, Manny, get out of it. That's what he's saying right here. He's saying, you know, if you're there in Babylon, look, he says, verse 45, my people go out of the midst of her and let everyone deliver himself from the fierce anger of the Lord. You know, God loves you. God loves you. And he's just saying, hey, if you continue in that behavior, you know, you're, 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 you're going to harm yourself. You'll bring it upon yourself. So God says, come out. And verse 46, unless your heart faint and you fear for the rumor that will be heard in the land, a rumor will come one year. And after that, in another year, a rumor will come and and violence in the land, ruler against ruler. Therefore, behold, the days are coming that I will bring judgment on the carved images of Babylon. Her whole land shall be ashamed and all her slain shall fall in her midst Then the heavens and the earth and all that is in them shall sing joyously over Babylon for the plunderers shall come to her from the north, says the Lord. I remember when I was first a Christian, I remember that um, my friend, he he asked me a question and I kind of like, what do you mean? But he asked me, Manny, what's your master passion? What's your master passion? What, What gets you excited? What gets you out of bed in the morning? You know, what do you think about? What, what dominates your life? Your master passion. It's got to be God. It's got to be God. You wake up in the morning and it was just so cool. One of the little girls, um, Sunny, she's actually here tonight. Sunny is only 11 years old. And she was sitting in a service on a Sunday morning. Now, normally the, the 11-year-olds don't sit in a service on a Sunday morning. But she was here that morning and sitting in the study and I had given the congregation, I think like four um, items to do for homework. Okay, one of them was that when you wake up in the morning, when you wake up and you're like, oh, you wake up in the morning, just lift up your hands. 
first thing before you do anything to lift up your hands and say, okay, God, here we go. I love you. Thank you. And then I, I said, second thing would be to roll out of your bed. When, so you roll out of bed and just roll onto your knees. And so it's a great way to start the day putting God first, literally. So I know for some of you, you're like, well, I don't know if I could do it. Just try it. So you wake up, hands up, you roll out of bed, you, and just say, okay, here we go, because the devil's already going to start doing his thing, right? And then the third thing was to look at the birds. Just look at the birds and notice how God takes care of them. No, they're not freaking out with their claws in their head. Oh, where are my food going to come? You know, they know they got to go get their food. Yeah, but God's going to provide for them. And then the fourth thing was uh, to take the, uh, when you go to Sam's Club or whatever, you know how you get your box of food? Okay, you're supposed to bring in your box of food. You put it on the counter and you put it away where it belongs. I said, okay, try this. Try taking your box of food and just walking around the house, you know, for whatever, 15 minutes, 10 minutes. You're walking around the house. You're not supposed to do that. That's what we do when we're holding all of our cares. We shouldn't, we can't handle it. We got to give it to God, put it where it belongs. And I was really blessed by this little girl, only 11 years old. She did all those things. And I was just so blessed because I could tell, I can see it, this little spark in her little heart, her little beautiful heart, that God is first. That God is first. And isn't it so cool how the Bible says it's the, it's the, you know, the faith of the, like, a, like a child, huh? Not a childish faith, but a childlike faith. And so right here, when we're talking about coming out and, you know, hey, be careful. Verse 49, as Babylon has caused the slain of Israel to fall, so at Babylon the slain of all the earth shall fall. You who have escaped the sword, get away. Do not stand still. Remember the Lord afar off. And I love this. And let Jerusalem come to your mind. We are ashamed because we have heard reproach. Shame has covered our faces for strangers have come into the sanctuaries of the Lord's house. Now this is not a temple right here. This is like a, this is a, you know, a very simple sanctuary. But imagine coming to someone coming here and desecrating it. You know, this is what had happened. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring judgment on her carved images and throughout all her land, the wounded shall groan. Though Babylon were to mount up to heaven and though she were to fortify the height of her strength, yet for me plunderers would come to her, says the Lord. The sound of a cry comes from Babylon and great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans because the Lord is plundering Babylon and silencing her loud voice. Though her waves roar like great waters and the noise of their voice is uttered, Because the plunderer comes against her, against Babylon, and her mighty men are taken, every one of their bows is broken. For the Lord is the God of recompense. He might repay. I'm just joking. It doesn't say that, huh? You guys... You know, you may, you may be putting on the back burner like, you know, I heard that at the church one day. Yeah, I heard that guy. Yeah. No, it's going to happen. Jesus Christ came the first time just like he said he was. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. He's coming again. And vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. The first time he came, he came as a lamb. The second time he comes, he's coming as a lion. And you can read about him there in Revelation 19. He's got a tattoo on his thigh. It says right there, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he has a sword in his mouth and he's riding on a white horse. And we're behind him and he's coming. He's coming. And with that sword, he will smite the earth. 
That's what the Bible says. And that's how we can continue to carry on in the crazy world that we're living in. We're living in a world that's upside down. Isaiah 5.20 says that they're saying what's good is evil and what's evil is good. You Christians, you're the bad people. No, we're not. We just love God and we love family. We think mom and dad and kids should stay together. That that's a boy, that's a girl. Nothing crazy. But you're bad. And so anyways, the Lord is on his way. He's coming. He will repay, surely. And I will make drunk her princes and wise men, her governors, her deputies, and our mighty men, and they shall sleep a perpetual sleep and not awake, says who? The king. So imagine writing this, and you know, you've got King, you know, um, Belteshazzar, you know, and then you've got King Cyrus, and you've got all these other kings, and no, he's the king. The Lord of hosts is the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the broad walls of Babylon, and how wide were the walls? You guys weren't paying attention, huh? <laughs> 87 feet wide, wide. 311 feet tall, 61 miles. (laughs) Forgive them, Lord. The broad walls of Babylon shall be utterly broken and her gates shall be burned with fire. The people will labor in vain and the nations because of the fire and they shall be weary. And notice what it says. The word which Jeremiah the prophet commanded Sarahiah, the son of Neriah, the son of Mahashiah, when he went with Zedekiah, the king of Judah, to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign. So this would be 593 BC. And Sarahiah was the quartermaster. And so apparently there was a time when the Babylonian king, he said, okay, I want you guys to come. I want to make sure that everything's cool. You guys are my vassal kings. And so they went, and this is when he read this. And so verse 60, so Jeremiah wrote in a book all the evil that would come upon Babylon, all these words that are written against Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sarahiah, when you arrive in Babylon and see it and read all these words, this is at least chapter 50, uh, 50 and 51. He says, when you read all these words, then you shall say, O Lord, you have spoken against this place to cut it off so that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but it shall be desolate forever. Now it shall be, when you have finished reading this book, that you shall tie a stone to it and throw it into the Euphrates, and then you shall say, Thus Babylon shall sink and not rise from the catastrophe that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. Thus far, this is it, thus far are the words of Jeremiah. And so that's how the book of Jeremiah ended. Now, I'm not sure if we have that last verse. Do we have one more verse out of the book of Revelation? Now, isn't it interesting? Real quick, before you guys look at the screen, isn't it interesting how he's, the, the very last words Jeremiah writes to Babylon, he, you know, he takes the scroll, he, he reads it, and he ties a stone, and he throws it into the river. This is what this guy, Sarahiah, did there in Babylon. Now, fast forward to probably you know, not too much longer in our distant future, we're going to see something similar. Here in the book of Revelation 18.21, it says, and Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone. Millstone is a thousand pounds, right? And he threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. 
Revelation 17 and 18, it could be literally Babylon rebuilt. It could be what we're talking about, just the commercial, religious, the whole system that is against God. One day, it's going to sink. It's going to sink. And so make sure you're not there in that vessel that's sinking. Make sure that you're in the boat with Jesus, who loves you, who died for you, who's for you, who has an amazing plan for your life. Amen.